You cannot wish for more wishes. In honor of 3,000 years of longing, what movie-related wish would you make of a gin? Uh, I'm Katie Rich, and not to be all Martin Scorsese about it, but just, like, go get all those lost movies back and, and make them available to be seen. Batgirl. Yeah, like Batgirl, Batgirl and also everything made before 1925. But also Batgirl. Uh, I am Matt Patches. This will become even more relevant later in the show, but I want one more Gene Hackman movie. That guy rules. Bring him back. We didn't Gene... need to end on Welcome to Mooseport. He seems entirely sake. uninterested in coming back, and I don't I, He will him, never make I another movie. That's wish. why I need a gin. Yeah. I need a wish. Hey, it's me, David the Seven, and I say uh, restore the secret of NIMD 4K. They released, like, so many Blu-ray versions of it, and they're all 1080p. Like, give me my sexy rats. Um, I'm David Ehrlich and I mean, my go-to answer for all sorts of wish related, um, film questions is usually that I want to see the Data third chapter, the, the day the clown cried. No, the third chapter <laughs> in, uh, Ridley Scott's alien prequel trilogy, which is never going to happen. Um, that'd be nice. But at this point I was, I've been thinking a lot today about Hayao Miyazaki's, how do we live, which was originally supposed to come out in 2020 and is now, I think, only 50% animated with uh, several more years to go. Um, and so uh, I would like to see that. I would like to have a guarantee that we'll see that uh, at some point soon. I would like to see it now if I could. Anything along those lines would be great. Gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Fine, I can hear you now, Dimitri. Clear and plain and coming through fine. I'm coming through fine too, eh? Good, then, well then, as you say, we're both coming through fine. Good. Well, it's good that you're fine then, and I'm fine. I agree with you. It's great to be fine. It's, it's a podcast. podcast. Hello and welcome to Fighting in the War Room. It's episode 404, is Pandemic 127. It is the week of Wednesday, August 24th. And speaking of lost films, that's the day that in 1891, Thomas Edison patented the motion picture camera. I don't know how many Edison films we have. Probably not enough. There's probably so many more that we cannot see anymore. Hack. Uh, I mean, oh, right. there's Ribble. there's another bird. Oh, the sun setting. <laughs> what fantastic what? cinema, Mr. Edison? <laughs> what animal will we kill today? Has uh has Elon Musk made it not cool to like Tesla anymore? It's like for a long time it was like Edison was a hack. Everyone like Tesla was the really cool guy. I still think people believe that. I think everyone's on board. I, I don't mean, think we've turned back towards Edison. Nikola Tesla is not or Elon Musk is not Nikola Tesla's fault. So let's let's not make him suffer for the sins That's of right. someone else. Don't cancel Tesla, the actual <laughs> don't person Tesla. Tesla. Don't cancel Hashtag Tesla. Don't cancel Tesla. Um David, we have yeah. reviews. I feel like it's been a minute. Yeah, it's an interesting question. I'll tell you why. Uh, the short answer is no. Ooh, uh, we have an email. Answer, the longer answer, we'll get there, is that listeners may remember from the last time we tried to do this segment that <laughs> the reviews were not fully loading on the computer that I was using. Mm. I was only getting the first two lines and I would click the more button and it would just cut off um, where the preview did and they would ne wouldn't be able to see the new text. I'm now on a new computer booting up a podcast app that comes preloaded into your Macs for the first time. And the same thing is happening to me where mm. if I click on a review and opening up, open it up, it cuts it off exactly where the preview text ends. So not only do we not have any new reviews, but in the event that we did have any review, I wouldn't be able to read it. 
It so sounds like fate, fate wants me to read more Hebrew words on this podcast. You reading it one week. Baruch that would have been You got started. Thank you. Like uh, the reason I know the, the only, yeah, I was about to say, I got bar mitzvah over the last week because I was so embarrassed. No, actually, the reason I know those words is really because of uh, the Jason Robert Brown musical Parade and then the final song. Anyway, I'm not. It's a bit of a digression. I have great love for the uh, Jewish people. Let's hear from some listeners. <laughs> we got an email. This one I was also uh, notified about. We'll we'll get to it. Here we go. Uh, this is just titled "Review," and it's from somebody. I'm just gonna call Ben, and it says, "Oh, did uh, he ask for a pseudonym?" Ben Grimm. No, he didn't sign by anything. But uh, I want Ben specifically to know that I know his name. It's ah. important. Here we go. Dispatching from Denver because I'm an Android user with no access to iTunes. Today at work, I met a man who had written a screenplay, and as he was describing the friend who helped him through it, I realized he was talking about Dave. As I told him, <laughs> his friend was one of my favorite podcasters. It dawned on me that I'd never left a review for this podcast, which has gotten me through far too many midweek commutes to count. So here I am. An excellent podcast where all the hosts have different voices and opinions. 10 out of 10 would recommend to a friend. P.S. did drop a five-star review on Spotify. And that's wow. it from Ben. But Ben, I did get a text message uh, from Kenny, who you were talking to, and uh, I wanna, I'm gonna pop by and say hi when I, I can next. Uh, Dave, are you a, sc a script doctor now? Yeah. Are you giving uh, notes? I would, I would ask for Dave Kenny? for notes on my script if I had one. Well, this was an interesting uh, case where it was pre-pandemic, like right pre-pandemic. Uh, and I met somebody who, uh, he's been in the Denver film scene uh, for a while, uh, does some polling and also goes to all the film festivals. And we were sort of just like talking about being interested in film and stuff. And he said he had an outline for a screenplay. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's technically what I went to school for. Why don't you send me the outline? He sent me the outline. And I'm like, this is just, you just need to write this. Like, just send me your first five pages or whatever. And then as the pandemic went on, we would meet up over Zoom and he would have more pages and I would be like, why is this character saying this thing? Could he be saying it earlier or later? And that was literally all the input. Uh, and he just needed a little push to get his screenplay done. But I think that's cool. I think that goes for everybody. I wish I could do that for more people. <laughs> but I uh, was an idiot and decided to work on a bunch of podcasts for Game of Thrones. So maybe... Wait till uh, the winter and when fantasies let up, and maybe I could pick up another. Yeah, wait till Dave's winter not, is Dave's, not coming. Uh, yeah, winter is not coming. Dave, is it true that they made a new Game of Thrones? Uh huh. Uh huh. The new it. Game of Thrones is an older Game of Thrones, and mm. it's a abbreviated Hot D, which we're gonna see how long that's do, funny. Do you think but that? Uh, week, okay. I, I'm gonna tell you immediately on. But um, do you think that David Zoslev funny. is going to uh, cancel it mid-episode and just throw the rest of the season out? Well, he, my understanding is uh, no, because the relationship with HBO is the one thing that they think uh, they can't really uh, fuck with that much because HBO is a premium cable channel as well. So my understanding of the situation is the HBO shows are actually safe. Right, they're not getting anything. They're not getting rid of anything from HBO. They've been getting well, rid so, of HBO Max. A gazillion people HBO watch Max. the. What do you like? I the, know. This show is hugely popular. We're not doing all this. We're not taking this question seriously. Nobody better fuck with my industry. That's all I'm saying. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, as a person who also uh, works partially in animation, 
uh, where it's a burning pile of rubble over here in this part of the industry. So as long as, uh, you know, some TV can be salvaged, I, hopefully we'll be okay. Neil Miller's One Perfect Shot, still on HBO Max. That's my bellwether. I got to wow. check right. in, make sure it's still there. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, but yeah, you could write in your international reviews, or if you're an Android user, uh, because apparently the podcast app is bad, says David Ehrlich and Android users. Uh, FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. We'll read them and stuff. And if you, you know, also go to FITWR.podcast on YouTube, I believe, you could uh, stream our live show still. Yeah, it's fun. We don't, we don't have a large internet presence, but we have an internet presence. We're mostly just here to talk about pop culture. Speaking of pop culture, I know we don't do. <laughs> no transitions. But, Gone but, for one week. You the calling man, you send you up. Reason calling nine to nine two zero. All right. Uh, it's my understanding that a lot of people have watched the rehearsal because it's uh, deeply uncomfortable and every week makes you wonder, uh, it makes you question reality and wonder if Nathan Fielder, who's a comedian, I think yeah. that's how I describe him. He's a comedian. Uh, is he An also actor. a sociopath? Uh, I see people tweeting wow. about the rehearsal every Friday night, I guess. I guess it ended last week. Mm -hmm. uh, and every time someone tweets about it and about how uncomfortable it is and how weird it is, I say, nope, I have too much else going on. I'm not watching this show. I don't need this in my life. I'm going to save all my energy for horrifying birthing sequences in Westeros. Um, so you guys can tell me why I'm wrong and why I should have watched the rehearsal anyway. And you still can because HBO Max has not removed it from the <laughs> yes, As a matter of fact, it has a second season. It's getting a second season. So Nathan Fielder uh, wins. A second season, which, again, I don't know what it's going to be about because of how this one ended. Uh, the rehearsal, I don't, Katie, I think there's a world where you enjoy the rehearsal, but it does involve sure. powering through that uncomfortability. Do you know what it's thing. about, Katie? Like, do you actually know what the show Yeah, it's about deals Nathan in? Fielder, like a pseudo, like supposedly documentary format. It's unclear to me if, like, the lines of truth and fiction have been revealed. Like, he meets with people to help them rehearse for awkward situations. And then it's revealed that he himself has helped, has rehearsed for this awkward situation. And then it's like a Synecdoche, New York kind of thing where like layer upon layer of artifice is uh, added onto each other. And then I know that in the season finale, there were a lot of people debating about whether a kid could consent to be on it. And you know how I feel about child actors. And that was maybe uh, where I decided to never watch it. Ever. I was about to say that would the, the finale would send you into a spiral probably. But yeah, I think people could misunderstand what the show or how the show plays out and, and maybe to the surprise and the enjoyment of, of the show is to not really understand what it will become because the first episode it sounds a lot like Nathan for you, his old comedy central show where it's like, I'm going to find a random person going to help them get through a problem. But unlike Nathan for you, which was kind of a fake uh, like bar rescue type show, I'm going to save your business by doing a wacky scheme. This one's going to be your personal problem. We're going to rehearse and figure out like we're, we're going to overthink uh, the solution to uh, the first episode is about a guy who wants to admit that he never got his master's degree to his trivia team. Um, and you would at, love it, Katie, because they at actually... At the Alligator Lounge. I was just going to say, I've been They seen... recreate the Alligator Lounge in Brooklyn. I have seen like, the Alligator... Wait, down the to every detail. Was the Alligator Lounge in Brooklyn and the Crocodile Lounge was Alli in Manhattan? Yes. Or Crocodile the other way around? No, no, okay. you're They right, both the serve pizza, as you yes. know. Yes. Well, and yeah, I, I, and when I saw that coming up as a meme, I was like, what? This is, a, this is a place that I went a lot. Now it's a meme. I don't, I don't know. Now it's a meme. I'm, now I'm but, elderly, uh, which is the real problem. 
yeah, so the show from there goes deeper. And by the second episode, Nathan is... They, they kind of move the show away from New York to... Are they in Portland? Are they in Oregon, Dave? Where they, they, go they are North. in Oregon, but they're, they're in not Oregon. going to be in Portland. Are in, the middle of, in the middle of kind of nowhere, in a very rural area. They, they find a house, and there's a woman, this woman, Angela, who really wants to be a mother, or at least she's considering motherhood and she wants to rehearse what having a kid is like so they figure out a kind of kooky scheme to have different child actors simulate their fake son at different ages so that she can understand what being a mom to every stage of childhood is really like um which and from there, uh, is yeah. it's such a funny premise because anyone who has actually had a child has a child uh knows implicitly what I think, you know, Nathan Fielder and, and probably this Angela and sort of also understand uh, in spite of the premise, which is that you cannot rehearse for having a child short of having a child. Right. It, it is like one of the thing that is sort of most unrehearsable in, in life uh, because the, the definition of having a child is this sort of a scope and a completeness and a, and a comprehensiveness of how it takes over your life that no short form experiment can hope to replicate. And so I think there is buried in the very idea that they're, building on here is a sort of uh, impracticality that I think the show is aware of and uses to its advantage. So now I'm going to pivot to Dave and whatever Dave was going to say about the rehearsal, because it's not exactly what anyone thinks it will be. And I'm kind of curious what Dave thinks it turned out to be. Yeah, I was watching it not only as like a maybe an comedy show, but sort of as a uh, instructor on uh, reality TV and the uh, scope and uh, breadth of the people who participate in that. Uh, I think there's a lot of episodes where um, I was leaning to the idea that the finale of the show was going to be that Angela was also an actor or a Nathan rehearsal, uh, but it actually doesn't. It pivots to uh, the child actors, as uh, Patches was alluding to, uh, in a way that when I saw the final episode, I was like, oh, they discovered this and then they made the show around this moment happening. Uh, so I think it's a very amazing finale, but the finale sort of crystallized uh, the show for me in a way that I was struggling to define it from week to week because the previous five episodes sort of changed what the show could be about uh, by the time it got done with its episodic arc. The first one... That is the, you know, the actual premise, quote unquote, uh, is the longest episode. It's like 44 minutes. The rest of them are more around the 22, 28 range. Uh, but each one further complicates the idea. First, there's a woman trying to replicate uh, having a child. And then Nathan sort of gets involved. And then we break and go to a Nathan Fielder's school of acting where it goes uh, either all the way down the rabbit hole or all the way up its own butt, depending on which yeah. direction you think it's going. I mean, I think it, there's there's no way for us to know for sure, but my sense, I believe that they went into the structure of the season not knowing how it was going to unfold and what shape it was going to take. I think there's a reality or a possibility, a world in which they would have made six episodes similar in structure to the first episode. They were all sort of like self-contained. Yes. Case yes. of the weeks. I, I think, you know, it's entirely possible from the moment they introduced Angela and that whole premise, I'm sure it if it was not already planned 
to the smallest detail, that it was certainly in consideration that Nathan Fielder was going to make himself the subject of the experiment, because I do think my experience was similar to Dave's and that the last episode was really clarifying. Um, but I do think that the entire project is sort of building up to the moment at the end of the first episode, or the end of the, the first season, the end of the last episode, um, where he is sort of has this manufactured moment of clarity, um, which read to me as very inauthentic, but in a way that made the show itself more authentic to me uh, as an exploration of someone who's sort of been so, um, so seduced by irony, so overwhelmed by irony and, and distance and, um, in a way similar to like a film like the comedy in a way that patches favorite um that it's sort of about someone confronting their own inability to feel these markers these feelings these emotional um milestones that we use as landmarks as like tests of our humanity like turing tests but uh <laughs> um but no we were just talking over it's, you it's a show about someone whether it's Nathan Fielder, the real person, or Nathan Fielder, the character that he's invented for himself here, confronting their inability to feel things um, in a real way. And I think my reading on that last moment of the season was that he was trying to sort of manufacture a real feeling for himself in a way that put a nice button on the story he was telling. But it's insincerity, what felt to me to be his insincerity, is the real button on the, the show that he's mm. building. He's still struggling to, like he can create the synecdoche-like universe where he, it builds to this emotional catharsis and he's feeling this thing. But the unreality of that, the fakeness of it that persists right. is what I find so interesting about the show. And, and to, clarify really, really for, yeah, to, to clarify people, who haven't seen it yet, I mean, as uh, this woman, Angela, continues to live with the child, Nathan ends up wanting to participate in the child-rearing simulation, so he becomes, he's becomes part of the rehearsal, while he's also staging other rehearsals in order to avert crisis with Angela and with other people participating. By the final episode, he hired another child actor to simulate what it would be like to talk to the child who he has overstepped well, potentially I mean, and convinced yeah. uh, this and child that he is his actual father. Uh, Katie, one one father. really important detail for Katie, people haven't watched this, is that Angela is a evangelical Christian uh, who very, has very, very you know, puritanical views about that. And uh, Nathan, when he steps into it, particularly in the penultimate episode, uh, decides that he has strong feelings about raising the child Jewish, uh, even as an ambivalent and sort of non-religious Jew. Uh, and I think there there are many, many uh, sort of agnostic Jews like myself out there who resonate very strongly with how he tries to broach the subject of Judaism with his own fake son. Um, and that sort of becomes a driving and issue in the last two episodes. Do we think that Angela is a real person? Like yes, that, or we definitely okay. do, because he okay. also hires an actress to play. I don't think Angela is a real person, a, but a also it doesn't, it doesn't um, matter. You don't? No. Interesting. I think it does matter to a degree. And... I do believe that Angela is, is a real person. I believe that Angela, I, she, I think people have dug up that she's done like some voiceover or something. She might be talent. They might've been talent scouted for someone who could participate in this. But I think in the experiment itself, she is just her being herself and capable of talking on camera, perhaps because she has some background. I don't know. 
on camera before. I don't. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I, mean, I think, I think her like, emotions are real. I don't think she's she playing has, Angela, the hyper Christian. Right. I'm thinking of the AI tagline now. Like his emotions are real, but he is not. Um, you know, like <laughs> right. Angela is. Um, like you know, she struggles with the reality of the exercise they're creating. Like she doesn't buy into it. She uh, from the very beginning, like the man the, with his Tesla, with his Tesla, no, with the. Uh, <laughs> What's the car that he has? Uh, the Scion TC. The, Scion, yeah. yeah. Uh, like he also does not buy into the whole fake baby thing. Um, and Nathan is, you know, the whole premise is he's trying to engineer this real experience for her and she's not buying in, but she does have very real feelings about something else. And I, I but I think like the ultimate reality, the bedrock reality doesn't matter, you know, as to what Dave was saying. Um, but the degrees to which people feel things that are real or translate as real versus artificial is important and there is not yeah i mean i think that is the and, and the show also smashes so many like actory actor types into itself to it, it would be very hard for angela the potential actor dave to to fake it to this degree when we know so many to other actors degree? are populating uh, to to be this natural, she's in a I house with that you know she's being filmed all the so whole many time. other actors we just see so many other actors in the show yes. trying to be realistic and you yes. know when that is fake because of how real other elements are i would find like the conspiracy of her not being her being a fabrication of the show i i i find that to be a little far-fetched because of how much other acting we see in the show and i also think i mean one one lens that i've been watching it through and it's been fascinating to see uh what Nathan Fielder has done after Nathan for you, which is he's globbed on to the Safdie brothers. Uh, he's making a show with them and he seems to really respond to their type of like on the street, but we're staging kookiness uh, kind of experimentation in filmmaking. And he also produces the how to with John Wilson, what is it? Show, which I think but this has a Dave, lot in common with. Yeah. What would, what would be the point of her being an actress? Like that would defeat for me, any sort of emotional resonance to the show, because if there is no, reality to it if everything is sort of artificial i i think that defeats what he's trying to do well that's that's what i was kind of getting at with mentioning like how to with john wilson to your point david i think it's this not is West a show World, that seems to <laughs> that seems to have been sculpted out of uh, collecting a lot of footage or uh, coming out with a lot of ideas on the fly there's three writers it's nathan carrie kemper and this guy eric narticola um who are kind of conceiving the show in documentary fashion like writing a documentary after the fact and like how to with john wilson i think uh, Nathan is has a deep love of real people and how people's brains work and what they could capture by just setting up different experiments and seeing how they play out and then adding to them like it's a big improv game um, and then sculpting away at it. I, 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 I think it would come off as really inauthentic if there was any like totally fabricated elements that he's not pointing out. Like we know who all the actors are in the show at all times. I also, you're Katie, you talk about your distaste for child performances. The distaste that I... I guess I broadly share, um, but there is a, a child point. actor in the final <laughs> yeah. episode who, if he is indeed giving any sort of coached or scripted performance, is giving maybe the greatest child performance I've ever seen. I mean, it is it, it, it to me, I mean, kids and animals, you know, one of the reasons you don't want to work with them is because they don't know how to lie on camera very well. Um, and there is sort of a an elemental reality to what he's doing and and what the, is the kid doing this is the thing that i have like so I'm he, afraid to look so, up. so nathan yeah. fielder is playing we're just gonna spoil the whole show in, here so we're, uh, uh, yeah so if you're well, if I mean, you, if we sucked you in jump ahead i mean yeah. i 
I don't really believe that this has spoiled the show is you can possible you can deflate it through spoilers. Uh, no, yeah, it's you only it's believe not... that about things that you've seen all the way. No, through. but no, I, I think I think thinking about it in those Your terms frustrates me. No, it frustrates me in the same way Dave talking about like thinking Angela's fake because this is not Westworld. Like this is not about mythology and it's just like so. Uh, well, they do cut up in the kid's head the and find the map. So anyway, it's a little um, but this kid, this kid uh, is growing up only with a mom. He's a single parent. Um, his dad is not in the picture, um, and uh, he is clearly he's like six years old or something like that, and is clearly um, always wanted a dad and Nathan Fielder is playing his dad. And then when the project comes to an end, the kid has a really difficult time letting go of the idea of having a father and, you know, continues referring to Nathan as his daddy. And uh, it becomes a really, really sort of heart rending situation of the mother, you know, seeing her son, how happy her son is to have a father figure, how hard it is for the son to lose that father figure again, if he ever knew his dad to begin with. Um, And Nathan, who not as, as not a sociopath, one would hope, think, um, is, like. no, I think is, is recognizes, like he, it, it hurts him to see, he recognizes he's responsible for this feeling. Um, it is not purely an evil thing. I mean, that he was able to give this kid a father for a period of time, as difficult as it is to lose him. Um, mm. But, but it hurts him that he has to take it away. He's struggling with how to, um, how to close the gap. So then he begins rehearsing for this idea of like how to go back and fix his wound. He has like an adult actor play the child. Um, <laughs> yes, really, like, that bit was amazing. Uh, <laughs> Carrying um, that, kid, like, that grown adult to the kid. Yeah. Is... Oh, wait, I thought you were going to play the other yeah. kid actor. The other kid actor that they get. So Katie, the one I mean, they all get the kid actors know, are good. And there's another, there's another aspect of the show, which I've absolutely love, which is just like how the show is made and like how they can, stage all of these rehearsals within union rules so of course if you're going to have a kid living with angela and eventually nathan well you can't have the same kid so they constantly have to be swapping because a kid actor can only work for so many hours on set uh so at night they use a fake baby or like a fake doll and then during the day they're swapping different kids out at an hourly uh like at a tempo um because they can only work so long so there's multiple kid actors who are playing adam their fake son and then the other kid that they get who's in the finale is like a kid actor genius he's so good playing adam and then later rehearsing as the other kid who's been playing adam so that nathan can learn how to talk to the other kid about not really being his dad and it is just yeah. multi-layered but, i don't know i was losing my mind it was yeah funny. i mean like the the And I think there are moments that do feel scripted to me, but in a way that only, again, sort of enhances the whole enterprise. Like when the kid says, you know, that you're a great scene partner to him in the last episode, like that feels to me very much like a written moment. But I think how thoroughly they they mesh in those moments of artifice with the moments of reality and make you sort of question both is, again, part of the appeal to what it's doing. So not not a knock if something, you know, feels like a false note. I mean, I don't think anything felt false. I just think they found what the series was about very early on with a six-year-old child and then shot the rest of the series to build to that. Because there's a whole bunch of stuff like yeah. uh, Angela's shown the Dr. Farts video after the fact. <laughs> um, I don't want you to explain that anymore. That's what yeah. Katie should hear. And that's, that's it. Uh, that's at, one point, yeah. at one point, they advance past the six-year-old's uh, but Nathan rolls it back artificially, and so then we get to have the six-year-old's six year birthday again, but after yeah. Angela is there. 
Uh, I, I think, like, maybe the alligator lounge thing might have been the last part of this shoot, because that's the furthest away from what the goal was. But I think he set up a house to do Judaism versus Christianity with a bunch of kids and stumbled into this real reaction from this child actor, Remy, and was like, oh, no, this is the show now. But that's so satisfying. That's satisfying too, because in that, I didn't, I didn't say it wasn't still, satisfying. No, I, just I know. Don't think I'm, not, I'm not saying half you the things you guys think are real are real. I don't think anybody building, spent the night in that house ever. He's building a documentary film. He's building TV. Yes, the same. The same idea. It's all this, this using this raw material to build towards a predetermined conclusion. Mm-hmm. You know, suggests as you know, my reading was, and I think it sort of undergirds it that 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 final beat is also engineered and and not uh organic even if well, it there's is two actors authentic. on the f- that you're watching two actors in the final beat like one that you know is an actor and nathan fielder who lies to you throughout the entire series but you like him because you're on his journey but it's like i, I don't think any of this we were we were presented zero of this chronologically says dave gonzalez uh but i do like it as a as a whole they've been I, I, the raw footage yeah. as if no, it's but, trying to be i don't need to i don't reality i don't need to see the raw footage that's why i started this off saying i was mostly watching it <laughs> as like a reality tv about the scope of people will go yeah. to reality tv because you also have you know bong smoking christian guy who sees numbers everywhere and he seems very real like somebody that showed up for an audition that's like maybe you're gonna like this crazy christian lady but like also illegally drives while high on camera so like there's 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 just a there's a big difference to me between saying it was shot not in the chronology that's presented to us it was cobbled together to tell this different story that they may have had sort of planned in advance and and were reorganizing the elements like you would in the edit versus angela is you know uh i think angela is also an actor um, but like that's wow. again, it's possible. Don't... I just I think that would make Damn the show theory. less interesting. I I'm not I cannot say conclusively that is not the case. I just think it makes the show less interesting to me. If sure, I mean but... either I don't want to make the show less interesting for anybody. For me, this revelation was more interesting, and that's why seeing the whole thing makes it like a very interesting piece to sort of pick apart. Because week to week, I was having the same experience as Katie, the people online. Where I'm just Ooh. like. Am I watching something morally reprehensible? Am I watching something that's hilarious, but in that way where I'm going to laugh when I'm thinking about it? Or am I just supposed to be uncomfortable with this? And the answer was all of those things at once. Now, so just to, to wrap up the segment in terms of the morality, which has been a big, yeah. Uh, yeah. A big sticking point on Twitter. Where do you guys Morality fall or ethical? Uh, ethic? Ethic? Ethical? Ethic? Ethically ethical? Um, I can't. I can't tell what you're trying to say. I'm, conf- I'm confused by the discourse about whether this is ethical or not. Are people contesting that like we're making fun of people by trapping them in the rehearsal process? Is that what people are? Well, I think, I think if, the, like- if you take the if you take the final episode of face value, I think it's possible to see it and read that he is putting this kid in an emotionally difficult situation. Um, he is sort of like exacerbating. You know, poking at his pre-existing daddy issues and doing it all in an exploitative fashion for, this is not my read on it. I'm just trying to take sure, the yeah, devil's no, yeah, yeah. Um, of, Although, uh, of I guess my counter on that is, is his, is the kid's mother putting her child in a dubious position? Right. So, but I think allowing you know, him to be an actor. And my general feeling, I is would that, say yes, but you know, <laughs> my, I mean, my general feeling that notion is because uh, Nathan asks her, like, does your son know how to act? Like, can, can he tell the difference between, 
when he's performing and and real life and she doesn't have a very good answer not to judge her too much but to to wonder if it's like one-sided on the on the ethical dubiousness dubiousness I, I don't know dubiousness. i mean uh, half the fun of documentary filmmaking in any shape or form is debating uh you know the ethics of its creation <laughs> um but i i tend to feel in a case like nathan for you that nothing even, even if you take like the most bad faith bad faith read possible on the material nothing is so bad or severe that for me, it sort of crossed the line where I would give a shit. You know? Like I think, like I think, like the questions are worth asking always, and this yeah. show exists yeah. to pr- provoke those I, questions I in interesting you. ways. But I don't think that you know the, what they're dealing with on screen is is so life or death that um, it would make this sort of a morally dubious proposition to begin with. E- episode two starts, and you don't know they're doing the house thing, Katie. You just see Angela put a baby to bed. And then a whole bunch of crew members be like, now, and they like sneak the baby out the window and replace it with another baby. And then he tells you about the actor things. But there's a moment where I'm like, is the next rehearsal he's going to steal someone's baby? And the show is absolutely <laughs> wants you to be asking those sorts of uh, ethics, moral questions. And I do think to yes and David, uh, there are important questions to be asked. And this dealt with it as carefully as I think anything I, can. I feel like I feel like the show exists to accidentally wade into these conversations about how things are made and and how we have these yeah. conversations with real people and and yeah yeah if you want to see a show that to create to create the minefield to create the discussion is the purpose it's the, of the real show. people it's of it all that is the sticking point for me because i think so much of what the show's doing is taking these abstract concepts that we could be arguing about and sort of conflating them with very real idiosyncratic people so that they transcend this, the ideas that they represent in terms of you know whether something's ethical to shoot or what it means or what's real and what's mm. fake yeah uh, and it and it sort of enters a sort of real world you know where nathan can't you know he's always sort of stuck in the construct that he's built for himself um the conversations we're having around the show can enter the real world uh of it yeah, all that's the third level is that whether or not it's any of them are actors or any of them are real the show works for the audience and that we're talking about this now it could just be like dumb starbucks where it's a meme for a couple of weeks right right and we move on but the rehearsal is like a work and it doesn't end definitively and i thought it was fun to watch I think as Katie? someone who is more or less a child actor abolitionist, I'm not going to be able to stomach that ending. Like I, it, I the last I episode's real. Tough. I don't know. This is I can't. This I'm might not, work I, in your favor. This might I be evidence for your. I cannot imagine case. seeing that um, that moral calculation as being worthwhile. But then there's such a good child actor at the. Katie, where's what's your <laughs> cutoff? What's your cutoff age for what constitutes a child actor? Oh, that's a good question. Mm, that's a great question. Maybe teenager, like because like I think yeah. I, 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 you come at it from an, uh, a place of, I think, eth- like ethics and concern for the kids. I just find myself often, it's, it's rare that I'm interested in the movie about someone young. I mean, there are obvious and incredible exceptions from Ratcatcher and The Long Day Closes. And, well, you love uh, uh, you Baby know, Princess Leia. And Baby Princess one. Leia. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that was a thing, but I'm vomiting in my mouth right now. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and then learning the star of the Fablemans. So the Fablemans is about, you know, I, I guess I could have put this together from unknowing that it was about 
uh, Spielberg's childhood years, but it's about yeah. like a 14 year old kid. And I was like, oh, I don't know. But uh, I'm sure, you know, <laughs> well, honestly, like, like I said, that, I think I'm taking it back. I don't think any child should have to be the breadwinner for their family. I don't. I think that like That's child labor issue. exists so that that doesn't yeah. happen. And I don't think you should be able mm. to be put into that position uh, by your family. I think you should have to be able to choose it for yourself. Uh, all right. Well, Rehearsal. This is a great I'm, show. Go. Look at this conversation. <laughs> One second, guys. I gotta go pull uh, my two-year-old son out of the the mines right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I know he's making you good money, but I really need to. No son of mine's gonna be an actor. He's gonna yeah. mine salt. That's right, and we don't have them, but that's a good transition as any. <laughs> Well, I got some breaking news today uh, on my phone, and it was not uh, on Instagram or on Twitter or on the New York Times app. It was on Be Real because I saw a picture from <laughs> David Ehrlich of a sonogram. Because David, you chose. Well, I think you chose multiple platforms, but on Be Real, you chose uh, to break the news that you're having another kid. Listen, no kid of mine is just going to be released on like the Roku channel. You got to go like <laughs> VOD. You got to go in theaters. You got to yeah, go. You got you know, a multi-platform live. release. Is that strategy. a weird Al knock? I will not stand for it. it, it uh, you know, it is because I, I am excited for that movie, but I'm like, if I don't get to see it at TIFF, I'm literally never going to see it because I don't know where the fuck the Roku channel is. Yeah. I don't know how to get that. Um, not, I feel that way about the American season of British Bake Off, which I guess is not called the British Bake Off. But um, look, yes, we're distracting from the point yeah. here. Be real. Uh, We're ha- I'm having I'm having a daughter in February. Uh, Katie is just rehearsed rehearsed ooh. the shit out of you guys because she already knew that. I did before, already know that. That's true. Uh, she saw my be real, but um, but I did also yeah. get news of a friend's engagement on be real, like legit, like that was uh, how they broke the news. I did have week, a very. So. I had the very good for usually my B reels are just like me sitting in my on my couch watching like the closing credits of the. You Batman were watching the Batman. Yeah. Why did you watch the? <laughs> I, I, finished, the I just finished the Batman me, last night. We should maybe we should talk about that. I don't want to blow up your that, spot here, but why are you watching oh, a no, Supergirl like, movie? Tell me that time. you don't have cable without telling me you don't have cable. That just the Batman was the lead into the series premiere of House of the Dragon. Um, <laughs> I, oh, I see. So you only watch the Batman. You watch credits. the credits of the Batman. Um, which Thank you, that, B-Real. So B-Real gave me a glimpse, but not the full picture. Right. Mm. But most of my B-Reels are very, very boring. Uh, but I had a stroke of luck, I guess, if you can call it that. Um, Did we say I what B-Reel is? No, well, this we'll is the thing. Is we're we'll supposed to be doing this. Um, <laughs> But I, okay. I, my, mo- so the Be Real is an app that's supposed to, it's supposed to be sort of like uh, the counter to Instagram where everyone is prettifying their lives and showing their best selves and trying to make you jealous. Be Real, as its name would imply, is an app that's all about the dark and grimy reality of your day to day existence. Or the most you get to take- hot, boring part of yes. it. You get to take exactly one photo a day. The alert goes off at the same time for everybody. It's randomized every day. So you don't know if it's going to be at night, in the morning, in the middle of the workday, what have you. Um, And you have two minutes to take a photo of yourself. Actually, you take a photo. It uses the front camera and the backwards facing camera to simultaneously take a photo of what you're seeing and what you look like, usually from a truly grotesque low angle. And you don't um, get to to see it. As soon as that selfie is taken, it posts. And when you see how horrible it looks, it's too Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can absolutely uh, do no, a retake. You... Oh, my God. No, you can do a retake, but you can't yeah. see you can't see yourself. You can't pose for the picture. 
No, that's right. You you can patches right. You can uh, you don't get to see exactly what you look like in the viewfinder. But Katie, you can retake as many times as you want over the course okay, of two minutes. Okay, I, I need um, to. Learn you didn't this. know that? No. Yeah. Oh, but here's Lord, the best I've part put, about that. I've put the, some of the, the worst part... pictures of me that have ever been taken. <laughs> on well, first, well, well we two things about that. The be- the best part about that is people could see how many times you retook it. Oh, really? So you should be yeah. embarrassed by how many times you tried to get it right, even though you're supposed to be real, people. Um, but the other thing is, yeah, I mean, the people who follow me on Be Real are all people I, I know, and I'll, I'll keep it that way. Sorry to everybody listening to this. Do people follow, to follow celebrities on Be Real? On Be real? Wow. I'm never Wait, doing that. I, I can't imagine. How, but... how long is like the, the velvet roped off line outside of your <laughs> Be Real right now? Everyone wants into my Be Real. Let's be, let's be real about it. Um, but like, that's the joy of it too, right? Like I'll look disgusting for the people I, I know. And I I, oh, I, yeah. I I think somebody tweeted something which perfectly encapsulates what Be Real is all about, which is like, I will take a horrible picture of myself to be nosy about other people for like mm-hmm, five mm-hmm. minutes. You can the only other look, factor about being real. Yeah. Yes, yes. You, you, can, you can only look at your friends' photos after you've posted one of your own. Um, uh, you you can post. You can post late, and I don't think there is any embarrassment to posting late. Uh, it will say that like Matt Patch Except it tells you that you did. Yeah, it's like posted, late. Right. posted but, a late. They call it a late, could, which is really yeah. funny. That could mean that, so you know, Matt was in a movie or Matt was taking on the on taking a shit. Although if you're taking a shit, you should post your be real. Definitely That's not post your be real. Um, um, I, I, vow, I, I vow, I vow <laughs> to do it. I, I, can we all make that pack? Can we all promise? Uh, listen, that, I, I'm not saying I haven't done it before. You'll do it? I'll do it again. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, I do follow my cousin's kids who are all like teenagers in middle and high school. And I wonder if for them, there's shame associated with it. Like I should, I should ask one of them and figure out like what the, what the protocol among the teens is. Cause it does seem like someone's got to be taking it seriously. I I see there's very little advantage. I mean, to being on be real socially. I think the fun Uh, of be real is, is just seeing like what everyone is doing in that moment. Um, and it's the usually a lot of us go- pointing our cameras at our TVs. Um, yeah, well, it's like the B-reels we no that go off the during the workday yeah. are are less fun. Um, yeah, but, the ones where uh, everyone's watching TV are fun. I love when someone's fridge, like anytime I get to sure. look at like some weird detail of someone's house, I love those. But that was, it was exciting too, because like, you know, there are very, very few opportunities in my pretty boring existence where a B-reel is going to go off um, in a way that feels exciting. And, and I was... Uh, I had literally just shared the news that we were having a second child on Instagram about five minutes before the Be Real <laughs> went off today. Uh, so it was perfectly timed. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, what it, I think the the buzz that someone like Katie would get, especially if she hadn't already known that we were having the kid, it's like, well, this is happening like right now. Like this is, yeah. you know, what's going yeah. on. It would have been an extra charge to it. Um, yeah, it's fun. I, I Patches, do you think that this is going to be a fad that like three weeks from now we have all long forgotten like that time when you been... were on that app where you like chugged four loco all the time oh, um, what, about, uh, what about clubhouse remember clubhouse yeah. Wait, what was the name of that uh that like, like answer v- v- spring vu vu i met a lot i met a lot of people through do you think that there's a future for be real i actually do think there's a future for be real uh well there's this is a two-pronged answer because I have to think about like, is be real going to be around in a year or is it going to gonna be around? <laughs> be around, are around. Um, I, I think I would use it because it feels like Wordle. It feels like something yeah. I do for yeah. like two seconds every day. And then forget about scrolling through Instagram or thinking about whatever that is. Or then 
feeling really exhausted by it. It feels like just a fun game. It feels like Wordle. Um, but then I wonder if Be Real can like sustain itself as being an Instagram competitor that only people use for a few seconds every day, or if that matters to them. I, I don't know. Maybe they just want to disrupt the kind of Instagram uh, gaze, uh, the the absorption. But I, I, I was thinking with House of Dragon premiering, I'm like, oh, all these guys need to do to monetize Be Real is to set their, like, have a sponsored prompt where everyone has to shoot their Be Real at, like, 9 p.m. on a Sunday, and then they win because everyone's going to be watching House of Dragon or something, and then they'll promote it. Yeah, so, but once you... once so the, to I the mean, people this, of Be Real, take to, that idea and keep it well, around. Well, this goes back to the rehearsal, right? It's like once you have people arbitrarily uh, decide, not arbitrarily, who are, who are deciding in advance when the right. Be Real is going to go off for their own commercial purposes. Are you being real anymore or really are you just being an advertisement? Um, which the whole point of being real is that you're not advertising yourself anymore like you are on every other social media platform. So that would be a, a real... Yeah, if I'm at Sleep No More in yeah. New York and I'm like living the immersive play of uh, Macbeth and I shoot an actor, is it? are they an actor or are they someone I'm just <laughs> wow. interacting with? Whoa, am I being uh, real there? Mm-hmm. Hello. Dave, yeah. we convince you to join Be Real? Nope, not going to happen. <laughs> Why? Show me your I mean, world. I, I mean, really... if you guys want to show me your world, Patch is at a whole birthday party for his wife that's apparently fun. I got no pictures from that. You got pictures <laughs> of your kids. I got no pictures from that. If you guys want me to know what's going on with you, you could you could show me. You have ways of getting a hold of me. I just, the, my, my dream, uh, my nightmare of this scenario is I start doing it and it's fine, and then I end up on Teen Mom Reddit with like, look what was on Dave's Be Real. And then it that's is just, fun that that's like, the end of my life. As someone who does not like to spam their social media, who's like, I'll do like a video right. of my son once a day and like a tweet, but only, especially at this point in my career, like only when I really feel like uh, there, this thought is totally benign or I have something to share, uh, like a piece of work to share. Um, th- there's the things that I would post on be real are the very things that I would immediately decide are not worth posting on any other social media platform. <laughs> and that does nothing for me personally. Cause I don't feel We're getting any back compulsion. to the smaller internet, but it's We're like, I don't feel any compulsion our, our to G-chats. share. Right? Like, I, I don't feel compulsion to share a photo of my feet in front of a television screen showing the end credits of the Batman. But I do find it interesting to see the mundane you know, trade trivial. I want to see all your feet in front of the Batman. Um, <laughs> so I can go on uh, feet, the feet wiki or whatever. No, but so I can, uh, no, but like, I think like those things that we, it's like uh, somebody else's computer screen on an airplane. Like there's nothing more interesting right. than what the person next to you is watching. Mm-hmm. Even if it is the, and, and the most boring thing in the world, and you have something you've been meaning to watch on your own screen. And like, that is kind of the be real experience where it's like a, a picture of Patch's living room is interesting to me. Um, because it's by virtue of being on Be Real, by virtue of the fact that he chose or would not choose to post it on Instagram. Um, that's the kind of thing. So maybe it has longevity there. I don't know. It's it's not about getting on to Be Real. It's about convincing a, like a, a group of people you know to all get on Be Real, I think. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's certainly more fun once you know more people on there.
Yeah, I kick it off. 50-year-old okay. movie. Yeah. Well, more or less at random, uh, last week after the podcast was over, Patches and I chose the Poseidon Adventure <laughs> to talk about uh, because it's we 50 did. years old this week. Not this week, this year. No, when did it come out? I should look this up. Uh, uh, and it's, We've done a lot of preparation for this podcast. It's great. No, it comes uh, out I know that it came out in 1972. Um, it's was released on December 12th, so it's not quite 50 years old yet. But uh, it's a movie I had never seen, and it's, uh, you know, in many ways, the original disaster movie. You know, the movie Airport had come out in 1970, so it was certainly uh, not the first one there. But I think when you watch it now, you see the DNA of a lot of disaster movies we have seen since, including perhaps my beloved Titanic, David's beloved <laughs> Titanic. Um, and it was it was a time capsule in, in a way that I expected. Uh, you know, I really didn't know that much about it. I knew that it had been nominated for a bunch of Oscars, uh, which we can definitely talk about. Um, but also really modern. It felt like it was really straddling this period between two eras in a way that I think when you watch The Godfather, it feels really timeless in a lot of ways. I haven't watched it in a long time, but I assume that it does. Or Cabaret, which came out the, the same year, really feels like it was made now. Um, the Poseidon Adventure has a lot of like old late 60s Hollywood tropes, but then also like Gene Hackman kind of at the beginning of this amazing run he had in the early 70s and and disaster movies and plotting uh, that feel like the future. So I loved the combination of past and present in it and I had a great time watching it. It felt like it was a slow start and I was kind of watching it, especially because uh, Leslie Nielsen plays like the straight face captain role, which is bizarre <laughs> given the career he had after that. Um, but once I got into the groove of it, I had a really great time. Um, Patches, I think you did too, right? I had an amazing time watching this movie. Um, we, oh, a few weeks ago, did a lightning round question, I think inspired by E.T. coming back into theaters. Mm. We were kind of talking very briefly about these types of movies, these big budget blockbusters, essentially, from, from the 70s. And like, why don't these movies ever get re-released? And I'm very thankful that this movie is on the Criterion channel until August 31st, so... There's not mm. too much more time to watch the Poseidon Adventure if you want to stream it. Obviously, you can rent or buy it. And it's time, also free you on YouTube. It's one of YouTube's free oh. movies. Wow. Okay. Oh, Never dang. mind. Poseidon Adventure. They're just giving it away. <laughs> you paid money for this? I rented um, it. Sorry. I didn't know. Well, I mean, I also That's rented good. it because you know who Fox knows if YouTube's going to be the look like it's supposed to. Yeah, so. no, it looks good. I That's rented it on Apple. True. It looks great. Yeah, I mean, it looks amazing on Criterion Channel as well. But I, I had a great time watching this movie and thinking a lot about like how it compares to modern blockbusters, and that's what I wanted to to talk about with you guys about this. Um, and there's so many like factors to what works and doesn't about our modern blockbusters and what works, I think, quite well in the Poseidon Adventure. Um, it is very hokey uh, at times. This is a very '70s movie, down to like, I, I mean, let's set let's set up what this movie's about. The Poseidon Adventure is about an ocean liner traveling from New York City to Athens, Greece. And uh, it's their, the big disaster goes down on New Year's Eve. And a bunch of different types of characters are caught in a giant tidal wave that knocks the boat over. Uh, and they have to get out or they're going to sink and die and drown. And that's pretty much it. It's not no. upside is, is down it a, completely. Is it a complete yeah, coincidence upside. that we are talking about this movie on... The same week, or I guess about a week removed from when Wolfgang Peterson, who directed the remake Poseidon, it is, it is a I, coincidence. I think I don't know if the news of his death had broken when we decided to do this. I can't remember. Um, I have seen Poseidon too, and maybe we, we could talk about I have that not. eventually. I have great, I have great uh, admiration for Wolfgang Peterson, and I and and watching Poseidon. I have not watched that in many years, but that is an action movie. That's more of the like 
Roland Emmerich style disaster film where there's lots of set pieces. And while there are, I would call set pieces in Poseidon Adventure, I was really struck by this movie being character centric and, and being pretty stark and like, it's it's a survival film, right? This almost feels like 127 hours or something where people are like dragging themselves through the dirt. It's it's Revenant-esque. A lot of climbing up and down stairs and metal yeah. things. And... and like people who are not in shape. People, old people, uh, you know, Shelly larger people. motherfucking winters. Lots of women in heels. In this version? No, Kevin Dillon is not around. I mean, talking about women in heels. The, uh, no one from Entourage. There are mm. four women in this movie. Three of them. One of them is a literal teenager, which like you could not do now, especially the way that she looks at Gene Hackman. Uh, well, there's a little kid, but then there's so there's her and then there's the like singer and then there's the like former prostitute wife of Ernest Borgnine. And they are wearing the shortest shorts you've ever seen in your entire life. And the they camera really isn't like lingering no, it on is. it, their legs, but it's no, not it, not like it's like, let's look at these gams. It's definitely a yeah. 70s movie. It's a sexist movie where you're like, here's a bunch of hot ladies. I mean, the the outfits that they put. Oh, what what is her name? Is that um, Carol Lindley? Who, uh, no, is, that's the singer. I forget who's playing Ernest Borgnine's wife. I'll look it up in a second. Stella she, Stevens, boy, I think. Howdy. Oh, Stella Stevens. Yeah, boy, when she's in the beginning of the movie, she's getting ready for the New Year's Eve party, and she's wearing this dress where I'm just like, uh, oh man, her boobs look amazing. Thank you for saying, Katie. Thank you, thank you for saying. And she's I'm just not like, wearing are it for the rest of the movie. Hiding melons in her dress yeah, no, or it's, something. It's, it is a look. It's extreme boobs in this movie, and I'm just like, you look good. But then the whole thing about like. Poker with a heart of gold, basically, to use a very outdated phrase, but I mean, that's I, how the seventies are operating. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like this is every character in the movie is kind of a stereotype. And I wondered for you, Katie and Dave, like uh, David didn't watch the movies. David will pop in with some great commentary I, um, about Kevin Dillon. I got, I got quips <laughs> about Kevin Dillon. You're making the quips. Um, did you guys find that like having stereotypical characters from the seventies? I mean, there's a lounge singer who looks like she's just part of the hippie uh they're, they're just for some reason the band that they've hired to play new year's eve on the Poseidon ss poseidon is the like biggest hippie folk band you could imagine from uh, the 70s everyone yeah. is a stereotype the contrast the of fashion i mean this happens with so many movies you watch from this period but it's like the got the dudes with like the long it looked like george harrison and then yes Borgnine on the same boat and gene hackman kind of like oh, right eyebrows. in the middle right like he I mean, how old was he when this movie came out? Because he doesn't look like a he's, young all, all he's man. missing is like a big gold chain to be this kind of like 70s so swinger. So Gene Hackman turned Even though he's 42. A he turned 42 in 1972. And like, this is really kind of somewhat at the start of his career. Like he was really becoming sure. famous. He was a theater guy, I think, for a while too. Yeah. I mean, like, I mean, he won Best Actor for The French Connection the year before. So like, he's really like at his, oh, okay. you know, pinnacle at this point. But he hadn't been famous until the late 60s so anyway but he's wearing this like cream turtleneck throughout the whole movie which is like oh, so good. good for a preacher but also good for like a, a hippie it's, he's right in the middle this is the gene hackman that was living next to my grandparents in studio 60 at this period of time wow Whoa. used to use use oh, their damn. pool yeah some weird photos uh in the in the photo album where it's like is that gene hackman they're like yeah that's gene hackman use use our pool uh, I was like, yeah. Gene Hackman didn't have his own pool. Um, apparently not, or maybe it was getting fixed, or maybe the uh, my grandparents' pool was better. Maybe my grandparents maybe were lying to, go... to me, and it was just one time. <laughs> just a Gene Hackman look alike hanging out at your grandparents. Yeah, 
Um, I think this movie has some great performances, but I really dislike all of the characters. Mm. Just them being like stereotypes. Yeah, yeah, stereotypes, paper thin. Uh, we lose the kid because he decides he needs to go pee in the actual bathroom, but all the toilets would be upside down. I don't understand why that's, like, he's why a, that's he's a concept. Dumb, he's a dumb kid, Dave. He's a dumb I kid. Mean, he's not a dumb kid. He The kid is where he knows the boat the best, and he leads them that's to true. salvation. That's but true. Gene Hackman's doing a ton with nothing because he's just I'm, like... I'm, I'm sorry. A, I'm sorry. On behalf of the listeners who have not seen this movie, <laughs> is there a scene where a young child goes yes, to a yes. bathroom... Finds uh-huh. the toilet on the ceiling and then somehow no. tries to use it. <laughs> we don't get to see him try and pee at the at the urinals that are now upside down, unfortunately. But you do get the impression he might try because they have flipped an entire bathroom upside down, and it looks. Yes. Awesome. Is there just and like then, a, a shot of him looking up at the toilet and yes! then cut to him like covered in a mysterious Zipping liquid? Up. <laughs> yeah. No, it's cut to everybody's like, "Where the fuck's the kid?" And the kid's like, "I'm sorry, I had to tinkle." Or something like that. Like the, all the dialogue's bad, but Ernest Borgnine, Aww. Gene Hackman, all the women I think are attempting performances within these paper thin characters, and so that's sort of why it works. Is because, uh, frankly, it's more realistic that way. If it's like, hey, we're all in a ballroom, disaster is hit. How is this going? How is this hierarchy going to play out? I think everything after the ballroom really cooks because we know we're at some sort of like survival based uh, thing for these characters. But yes, the opening is very painful, <laughs> at least for me. Uh, we're just like watching these stereotypes um, come out without any sort of uh, self-consciousness about being stereotypes. Like Hooker with the Heart of Gold who married the cop that kept arresting her. I'm like... That's a whole movie about how that's <laughs> fucked up. Uh, but we don't have time for that. Uh, so I think once the disaster starts and once it becomes something more like disaster movies I'm used to, then it could be like Speed where I don't need to know anything about the characters until the disaster happens. I think the mistake of this being an early disaster movie is that it kind of front loads it. It's like, so you know who the characters are. And then mm-hmm. there are time periods when they're getting, running through the ship I'm like, this would be a great place to hit who the character is. And occasionally they do it and occasionally they, they mess up. So like the, the Shelly Winters got her Oscar nomination because she has her big character moment right near the end where she reveals yeah. that she won a swimming contest for holding her breath underwater she got for 12 minutes. She got an Oscar nomination for this movie. And I can I mean, see why. Speech. She already had an Oscar. So actually, no, she had two Oscars already. So she was already like, you know, a, an icon at this point. Um, so you can just kind of see there like, yeah, give the nomination. I mean, not only is it a good speech, but it is the example of what I'm talking about, where she has this one outlook at the beginning because she's like, I want to see people married and we're going to go meet our grandson. And, you know, I'm too fat to go anywhere. And then when the time comes for her to step the fuck up, she steps the fuck up and it's mm-hmm. great. And that's also what's great about Gene Hackman's arc. That's what's great about Ernest Borgnine's arc. But I feel uh, like you're making the case for these stereotypical characters. I, I think during the movie, I thought a lot about James Cameron and the flack he takes for having kind of occasionally or always one-dimensional characters or very obvious movie characters. Uh, Avatar gets a lot of flack for that, where it's just like, couldn't this have gone deeper? And I think we've talked about it on the show before, but like, no, it, it couldn't have. To understand the drama and to like be propulsive, you have to have kind of obvious character types in order to put them in lots of different situations and match different people up. So 
yeah, Shelly Winters, they like keep harping on. I mean, when they when the boat first flips over and they move the Christmas tree and they're gonna try and climb up uh, and start escaping, she's like, "I'm too fat to go," um, and she keeps saying this, like she's too big, she's too large, she's not actually that large of a person. No, let me know. I guess in 1970s Hollywood, I, she, compared to the prost- former prostitute and the uh, waif of a, of a singer lady uh, who's in the room, yes, I guess she's... I think it goes without saying uh, that all the body stuff in this movie does not use that well. It's horrifying. Yeah, no, absolutely. But, um, but by just like keep hitting that line, like she's going to be that one-dimensional character. She's going to be that person. That makes her whole plight, like if that's going through her head at every time, every situation, every scenario, everything they have to jump over or climb up, like, you do start to understand her the, the tumult of this situation for her, and then that scene where she gets to say, this is what I can do, it's yeah. really powerful. It yeah. really is, like, I agree. she is gonna overcome all this shit that she uh, has weighing on her, and when she <laughs> she, I'm, I love that she's wearing her dive necklace or something that she got, she's like, she just happens to be like, this is what they gave me back at swim class. I can hold my breath for so long. It's perfect. I mean, that's it's great, a but like, moment. that's all the character you need, that. and it's in, I don't know if everyone gets that. That's the character that you, I mean, it's like, prostitute with a heart of gold is just like, you got so close, okay, but you're a prostitute. A Fuck you. Yeah, they really, they really damn her, you know, in an uncovered well, but then, you know, Gene, ha- they try to turn it around by having Gene Hackman, like, yell at God for needlessly taking life. That scene rules. We rules. Should talk a little more about that, it does rule. Th- this, this movie has some, like, heavy drama to it about God and and how these catastrophic uh, things I mean, happen when God has, should exist. It has incident. I don't know if it has. Gene Hackman screams at God. Gene Hackman is God. I love Gene. <laughs> I love movies where people scream at God. I'm on the record as being a big, that's a big fan. So when he, like. I'm a fan of him right at the beginning where he's like, if you're praying in a freezing house, do you let icicles grow from your upturned hands or do you light the house on fire? And I'm like, yes, fucking preacher, do it. (laughs) And then he has another speech where he's like, God doesn't care about individual humans. His main, our main thing is to be a connection between the past and the future. I'm like, all right, you didn't need to lean on it so hard. I got it with the hands and the burning the house down. So I like, again, I I, I I even looked at contemporary reviews to make sure I wasn't just like harping on a movie that was like really good. Not a ton of character here, but it's brought through by these excellent performances and it's shot in a way that at least for its time is very impressive. Now, now uh, a listener of ours, uh, Ryan Keyshaw1975 on our Twitter uh, says that they're looking forward to some discussion of Gene Hackman continuing to wear his turtleneck sweater versus how quickly Bruce Willis as John McClane is down to a tank top undershirt because the 70s mm. were a different time indeed. What are your thoughts on It's because Gene, Gene Hackman... Hackman's like, he's like the green ribbon girl if he takes off his turtleneck, <laughs> right, right, right. his head so falls it, off. Is, right. is, is, Although <laughs> he gets a little rip on his shoulder and he looks buffer. Just oh, he does, yeah. yeah he's got that like uh, cold shoulder look going. The costuming the of it. in this movie is, is pretty fantastic because no one really well all the women are forced to remove their gowns because they're all wearing amazing ball gowns for new year's eve and they're and everyone's like take off your shirt and they're like i'm not wearing anything under this ernest borgnine like, give her your shirt um so all of the women have costume changes but ernest some borgnine of the other, is, like is ronnie wearing... mcdowell is still wearing his waiter uniform um and uh oh who else is uh Jane, the guy who plays james in the movie red buttons He's yeah. still wearing a bow tie and his like ruffled shirt by the end of the movie. You're like, take this off. You just had to swim underwater for like two minutes. Take off your bow tie. You do not need this. Um, but like I love and then only Ernest Borgnine is the one who kind of like totally strips down is like, 
ah, I am the man. I am human. Um, it's great. Everyone's still wearing their nice. Yeah, I think you have to cover up Gene Hackman's neck with a turtleneck the whole time because it's literally a gray turtleneck, which is contrasted with the priest who's wearing his black collar with the white thing that's supposed to be. It's a visual metaphor that he's the gray pastor and the other guy is the legit mm. by the book thing. And I think once you take that away from him, you're taking away the little bits of symbolism this movie's trying to fit in because it doesn't wow. have characters to back them up. He's also just 70 suave, you know? He I mean, it all works. They, I, I loved watching this movie. I didn't really like listening to this movie. <laughs> it's, it's just like the di most of the dialogue was like, you know, I can't do it. I can't move. Okay, we're going to go up the ladder one rung at a time. Yeah, no, it's all very right, next um, rung. And I'm like, oh my God. About like, yeah. we're going to go here. And then we're going to go there and let's also talk about our grandchildren in Israel and whether or not we'll ever get to see them. Yeah, but uh, oh. it, uh, and because of that, it does a whole bunch of things that, you know, uh, the D&D &D player in me is like, first of all, never split the party. Gene Hackman's like, if I'm not back in 15 minutes, I'm like, that's a mistake. Everybody who says that in a disaster movie, that's a bad thing. And finally, they like figure it the fuck out. But that also leads to the child peeing in the upside down toilet. Love the way I, I love the execution of this movie. If I were to do anything, maybe I should watch Poseidon. It just needs a little character punch up. Is that me? Are you, su are you suggesting that Poseidon's a better movie? No, no. I got it. The question is, is that is that the way that it shows its age? Is it that it didn't disaster movies didn't need the basis that they maybe need for me now because I live in a world where the rock gets stuck at the top of burning towers every 50 years so we're like what are we doing that's so interesting because i feel like and, and katie chime in here but like i thought i felt less was more i mean obviously titanic gives us so much character it spends a whole hour without the boat not sinking whereas poseidon adventures like here's 10 minutes and we're gonna flip the boat over and now it really is gonna be people i mean you'd think so but they, don't get, through out, hoops, they but. don't get out of the dining room until the movie's half over so it's what? not that much that true yeah, it's like 50 minutes. They're out of the dining room. The movie's They spend a lot of time in the dining room, though. They do. I mean, there's a good well, yeah, amount and of It's a big thing, and then you gotta cut the everybody. Sort of I'm just saying, like, if you didn't feel... If you felt like it was just 10 minutes, and then you're off the races, that means the movie's working, because I also kind of felt that way. It wasn't until I, like, went back and, like, started scrubbing through some things on the YouTube version uh, that I, I noticed. But, like, that's good. But if I were to see... Like, I used to give, uh, like... Armageddon and stuff uh, like shit for elevating it from a personal problem to a world problem for a disaster movie for like Roland Emmerich or Michael Bay is let's cut to three other places around the globe where they're staring up at the sky in shock and they would be like that's enough for you it's gonna be the world and I'm like oh that wasn't enough for me am I just being that same sort of stickler here for the Poseidon adventure maybe alright <laughs> I, I, I mean, the one big question I had was more about whether, I mean, I, I wanted to see this movie to enjoy the action. See yes. if 70s disaster action still played how I hoped it would. And, and for me, it did. Like, the scenes of them going underwater, that's really frightening stuff. And I wondered if, if the set pieces were still exciting to you. Like, does... You know, I, I think people talk a lot about how comedy expires. Like, we can't enjoy as many comedies as we once did because the humor doesn't last and we've kind of grown up or we've evolved as a society of what we can tolerate. And 
yeah, a lot of comedy does not hold up. Action, you wonder if it's the same thing where bombast becomes so uh, huge um, and exceptional. Now, I, I wonder if you thought it was thrilling or if it was just kind of like going through the motions. I don't, I don't know. What do you, what do you make of the action? I mean, I, I go ahead, Gay. I, I feel like, feel like in the dining room sequence where you've seen people falling to the ground, there was a real like the language of disaster striking was just not there yet. Like it was a lot of like someone like comes in from one side of the frame and then falls to the other side of the frame. And then you go on to another person. And they do the exact same thing. Like, I don't want to be one of those people who's like, well, when you watch movies from the 70s, you're seeing them figure out how to make movies because that's bullshit. But I do think figuring out how to make a disaster movie is a real thing. And we, you can kind of see that happen in real time. Um, but I thought the like tension of like, can this person swim underwater to this place? Like the establishment of like where they're trying to go and what they're kind of trying to do from that point works really well. Yeah, I was like, we just watched 13 Lives and they're doing the same move. Ron Howard's pulling the same tricks as they do in He's just ripping off the Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, he's putting <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. They're now following the Ron rope. Howard's going to uh, DM you and you're going to make a TikTok about it and things are all going to go well, sideways. You know what? I am great at what I do. I, I'm great at what I okay. do. We shouldn't have gone down this road. It was a mistake for all involved. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I think it really does. It really does hold up. Um, and I think the reason why is because once after... You're right. That flipping over is kind of janky because we don't live in a world where they're going to do a whole bunch of wire work with background actors in this in a line yeah. of work. So it is people throwing themselves around. But that same thing applies to everything afterwards, where it's like um, the people swarming the Christmas tree uh, once mm -hmm. the water starts breaking in or climbing up uh, the shaft as the water rises. And there's also explosions or the underwater swimming thing, they all really work because they're at the 1972 pace. Like, I think those people could slip. I don't mm -hmm. watch the exact same scene in Alien Resurrection and think anyone's going to slip. You know, uh, so oh, it's, I, I'm so glad you mentioned Alien Resurrection because it's exactly what I was thinking about when you were talking <laughs> about the people swimming in those underwater uh, situations. You know, the, the drowned rooms. I was like, yeah, we we just yes ended that by adding terrible CGI aliens in the 90s. Uh, yeah. it sounded like an improvement to me. I mean, there's a there's a lot of Alien Resurrection, I think, in this, but uh, <laughs> I I do think that like this one works because the actors seem like they're really there. It's shot like the actors are really there because they are. And they are. it's like, yeah, it's like basic classic filmmaking techniques. Like, you know, Gene Hackman isn't really pinned under that metal because he would fucking kill him. Now, so, like, there's some suspension of disbelief, but it, I think it all works. Are you saying that the Poseidon Adventure was really just an elaborate rehearsal for Alien Resurrection? Oh, my God. Was no. Gene Hackman while he was acting during takes in this movie just preparing for his role in Crimson Tide? Ooh, you know, he doesn't get wet enough in Crimson it's Tide. That's true. He gets very sweaty in Crimson Tide. I feel like we just need people to get wetter in, in mm. movies. Water mm. is such a vicious cinematic villain. Uh, Patches, I got really good news for you. I got really good news for you. Possibly the best possible we're, news for we're you. We're returning to Pandora and guess where we're going. <laughs> it's called The Way of Water, Matt the Patches. Way, the Way of the Water. Uh, wow, that's a, how they say it in Philly. The way of the wooder. The way, yeah, way of the water. Way of water. <laughs> Awa has foreseen that we would all <laughs> go back to the water and everyone. We love water. To use Patches' terms, the movies could finally be wet enough for Patches. Yeah. Uh, so Lash it up. This, this December, get wet.
on Pandora. I imagine James Cameron, I've never seen him specifically talk about the Poseidon Adventure, but I imagine if you like compared the Poseidon Adventure to, Adventure to Titanic to him, he'd be like, fuck you. Absolutely not. But like he definitely watched really? the Poseidon Adventure. For right? sure. Yeah. Like there's so much there. How do you know how to splash people if you haven't seen the Poseidon Adventure? <laughs> I mean, the whole this, back half of Titanic is this movie. This went. It actually made me wonder, why did they not make a Titanic movie earlier? We'll for, like, talk. Well, they did make a night to remember in the like late fifties, I think. So patches, too soon, patches. There, there were several Titanic movies, my friend. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, and, I mean, to this to this notable degree, I should say, I know about the night. Uh, they were night all to remember, notable, but. and some people, some people were very wrong. Uh, say that those earlier movies were even better. That's an argument that wow. I, oh, that's I can understand feeling to make, but uh, yes, I mean, I, I can only say there's one movie about the Titanic on my Sight and Sound Ballot top 10 list, the, the, the 10 best films ever made, uh, and it was not a night to remember. So, maybe that's what Poseidon that the Adventure... the word on that. It was the unsinkable Molly Brown. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what Poseidon Adventure was missing, was the unsinkable Molly Brown. Like a somebody where it's like, this could be their story if we weren't following Gene Hackman. Uh, but unfortunately, the movie ends much more bleakly than that. Anyway, I, 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 like, halfway through this movie, had to stop and uh, go to the other room where Java was watching something else and be like, hey, Gene Hackman's really good. And she's like, did you think he was not good? I'm like, no, I just, I guess I forget every time until I watch him do something that Gene Hackman turns it on. From scene partners from a random little kid who tries to pee in upside down toilets to Will Smith, Gene Hackman could really turn it on. <laughs> can sell it all. Give us one more Gene Hackman. Please, Gene. Thanks for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. In the meantime, tell the people who you are. I'm Matt Patches, deputy editor over at Polygon.com. I'm on Twitter at Mr. Patches. We have a website, fightinginthewarroom.com, where you can listen to old episodes. I don't think we've... I'm wondering how many disaster movies we've covered in our time on this podcast. Not many of the old ones, but I'm sure we've talked about Titanic. If you need more splashy wet movies, you can talk about... We can do a Titanic episode. There's one back there. I think we have. Fightinginthewarroom.com. I'm David Ehrlich. I'm the critic of IndieWire. You can find me on Twitter at David Ehrlich. You can find me at various film festivals for the next few weeks. Uh, I feel like I'm already there. Um, you could leave us a review on iTunes, Fighting in the War Room, um, if we don't get one. And also, we don't get any emailed reviews, which Dave can tee up next. We will supposedly talk about Star Wars Galaxy of Heroes. Whether or not I'll be able to read any of the reviews that you leave on our iTunes store is an open question. Let's call it a cliffhanger, a mystery um, that we will resolve in a future episode. Stay tuned. Mm. <laughs> Damn you, God! Took that girl! You want to take a life? Take me! Um, uh, I'm Dave Gonzalez. You can follow me on Twitter at DA7E. You can email us those reviews internationally, Android users, people who are frustrated with the app at FITWR.podcast at gmail.com. And I, unfortunately, will not be around going to film festivals because I have begun the 10-week long march that is covering House of the Dragon on Trial by Content over on the Ringer Network. We are the 
fourth House of the Dragon show that will be released on that network uh, every week, which means we are the party episode. Come for a good time. No, no meaningful information, just hot D jokes. Katie? Uh, hot D uh, is something I'm becoming very familiar with, thanks to you, Dave. Uh, I'm Katie Reaching and What? And, uh, yeah. Excuse <laughs> me. Yep. Don't, don't clip that. <laughs> is this, are you being real right now? Uh, yeah, this is this is the true meaning of be real. It's actually on this podcast, it turns out. Uh, Dave is uh, working with us at Vanity Fair on the Still Watching podcast about House of the Dragon, um, which he is called Hot D, and we have no choice but to follow along with it. Uh, and I'm on the Little Ben podcast, where we're also preparing for festival season. Um, David, you want to you want to hang out in Toronto in a, in a week or two? Yeah, you know, Katie, I actually today, uh, after looking at the Toronto schedule, shortened my trip by a day uh, wow. because I did the math and decided that uh, needing to come back to my wife and son uh, outweighed, you know, maybe seeing the greatest beer run ever. Wow, this is how you tell uh, me you don't want to hang is. out with me. It's fair. Uh, but no, I do. I'm only going to be there for a, for a hot minute. Uh, and I'm sure we'll all see each other seated around the Fave Woman's dinner table on Saturday night. But uh, I would love to hang out, as we did recently in Brooklyn. What a treat that was for me. True. Okay. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I was supposed to say. You can follow me on Twitter at Katie Rich, K-A-T-E-Y-R-I-C-H, or all on Twitter at F-I-T-W-R, where you can um, tell us whose outfit you like the best in the Poseidon Adventure, or you can answer this week's lightning round question, which was... In honor of 3,000 years of longing, what movie-related wish would you make of a djinn? Thanks for listening, and we'll be back talking to you next week.